Well, so we've been looking at how the gospel changes our lens, changes our paradigms, our pictures, our perspective, uh, changes how we see things. We've seen how it, it exposes our bankruptcy, how it, how it destroys our categories, that we remove lines where God does not see lines and we don't show partiality. Uh, we see our union with Christ and that there is this mysterious oneness that we have with the second person of the Trinity. Like, I, I, how do we get our minds around that? Um, and yet, uh, it's true and it emboldens us. Uh, and it, it, it deepens and broadens our faith. Well, uh, today I'd like to look at Matthew 25 um, and I presume a familiar parable about the talents, an old story, but I'd like to, I think, give a new take on, a, on an old story, um, a, a somewhat non-conventional interpretation of the parable that I think might, once again, uh, give us a new lens, a new way of seeing life in the kingdom, uh, a new way of seeing ourselves, a new way of seeing our reward. So, uh, look with me at Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. He gave To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went, dug it in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he, had, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, again, I presume this is a familiar parable. Master gives these three servants different amounts. They say a talent, it's not, we're not exactly sure how much a talent is worth, it depends a talent is a unit of measurement of weight, uh, whether it was gold or silver, obviously determines a huge change in its value. But I've, heard, I've seen estimates where they say a talent is, is worth like 
call it like $300,000. This is a huge amount. And so five talents is like 1.5 mil. You could almost buy a house in Orange County, maybe. You know, two talents is like 600K. One talent is 300K. You ain't going to be living around Southern California with that. Um, anyway, though, though we don't exactly know, I mean, the point is these are, these are large amounts of money. And five talent produced five more, two talent produced two more, one guy buried, the guy with one buried in the ground. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant, but the last guy, you wicked lazy guy, get out of here. Six quick observations, just by way of uh, reminding us things that I'm sure are already familiar to us. One, we are stewards, not owners. Uh, it points to the fact that it's all the master's money. And uh, that's good for us to remember, especially in our individualistic American, we have our rights society. You know, this is my job and my career and my money, my salary, my house, my car, my family, my property, my rights. And and uh, Jesus says, no, nah, let's not see it that way. It's, it's mine. And I entrust it to you. Number two, uh, we'll give an account. It's not just, I entrust it to you, go and be merry. It's, I, will, I entrust it to you and... Uh, and one day there will be a day of reckoning where we will give an account for how we have stewarded what was his. Number three, God's looking for faithfulness, not amount, right? It's not that everyone had to reach a particular benchmark. It's just you had to be faithful with what you had. Five-talent five guy had five more. Two-talent guy had two more. Um, the five-talent... Guy shouldn't think, oh, I did so much better than the two-talent guy, or the two-talent guy shouldn't think I've done so much worse than the five. No, we're just called to be faithful. Which goes to number four. To whom much is given, much will be required. That there is an appropriate obligation to be faithful with what has been entrusted to you. If you're a two-talent person, you don't need to produce five talents. And if you're a five-talent person, you're not supposed to produce two talents. You need to be faithful with what's been given to you. So we, to whom much is given, much will be required. But my fifth point is, we've been given much. Uh, I think it's easy, parables like this, for us to say, well, I'm not the five, I mean, five talent guy. You know, Tim Keller, I don't know, Pope Francis. I don't know, those big boys. Little old me, like, you know, little old Trinity, like, what, what, what do we got? You know, we're just, we're just little old me. Don't, 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 don't expect too much. Um, but I'd like to suggest, um, from a broader perspective, we are five-talent people. Uh, we said the first night that we live in the richest country in the world, perhaps all of human society. I saw this little thing about if the world were a village, a hundred-person village, have you seen this? This is a little bit dated, but I think it still makes the same point. Uh, if the world were a hundred people, a hundred-person village, 61 people would be Asian, 13 would be African, Five people would be North American. Fifty of the hundred would be malnourished. One person would be dying of starvation. Forty-eight would live on less than two dollars a day. Thirty-three would not have access to water, safe water. Five people would control about a third of the wealth. All five would be from the U.S. Thirty-three percent of the people would live on 3% of the wealth. Eight people would have internet access. 
maybe it's nine today. I don't know. It's a little dated now. But and it, they say one person would have a college education. You know, because we live in our society, I think it's hard for us to gain the perspective of how privileged we are. And then even in our American society, dare I say, we are the privileged of the privileged. We are not one-talent people. We have been given very much. Number six, even those who even those with less are obligated to use what they've been given. The one-talent guy isn't let off the hook. Well, it's just one. It's not a big deal. No. He, too, is required to be faithful with the little, quote little, that he has. And this guy is not condemned for doing something wicked. He didn't go and gamble it away. He didn't go and, you know, I don't know, by terrorist <laughs> weapons or something. He, he is condemned for what he did not do. His negligence was laziness and sloth, irresponsibility. These are good lessons, good for us to know, but I suspect these are the lessons you're already familiar with from this parable. I would like to see if we can get another perspective. We want to consider three more thoughts. Jesus' purpose of the parable. Zoom in on the third servant. And then zoom in on the first two servants. It's hard not to read this parable and feel a little nervous. It's not a happy story. Um, it, le it ends with this guy being cast out into the darkness. And the way Jesus sets up the story, it is... Like the first two servants are just background. So that the third servant, where most of the parable is focused on, can be set in contrast against the first two. As this is the unfaithful one. And it climaxes with him being cast out and gnashing his teeth. Now consider, Jesus very easily could have told the story of how there were two unfaithful servants and they didn't do it. But then there was a faithful servant! And well done, good and faithful servant! That could have been the climax. But that's not the way he told the story. It is as if Jesus wanted to emphasize the consequences of unfaithfulness. Because that's the punchline. That's the climax. That's the point. It's like he meant to scare us. It's meant to make us uncomfortable. Why? It seems to me Jesus is warning, not everyone who thinks they are in the kingdom is in the kingdom. It is a warning against those who would presume kingdom citizenship when in fact... They are not. I'd like to point out how that is the context of Matthew 25. That in three these three parables, they all make that same point. The ten virgins, it ends with the, the virgins who are unprepared and they are cast out. We have the parable of the towns and then the sheep and the goat. And it ends with the goats who did not serve Jesus 
in the form of serving his people and are, again are condemned. It's as if Jesus is trying to point out in three repeated quick succession stories, see, not everyone who thinks that they are saved are truly saved. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and many people who are surprised. Lord, did we not? You know, did we do this? You know, did I, I, I thought I was faithful to you, uh, but I was waiting for you. And Jesus, Jesus warns them otherwise. In its context, I think Jesus is speaking to a Jewish crowd that presume because they are Jews, they are part of the kingdom. They presume upon their Abrahamic lineage as sufficient for their citizenship in the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, look, if you're not waiting for my return and you're not prepared to wait for a long time, if you're not a faithful steward, if you're not compassionate to the weak, do not be deceived. You are not in the kingdom. For a long time, I thought, and perhaps you did too, that this parable of the faithful talents was to teach us, to urge us to be faithful stewards. Be a faithful steward. But now when I looked at this parable, I do not think it's telling you, telling us to be a faithful steward. Rather, it is a litmus test to indicate so that we might understand whether we are in the kingdom or not. In other words, if you are not a faithful steward, this parable isn't saying, be a faithful steward. This parable is saying, you are not in the kingdom. It is not urging you toward faithfulness. It is warning you of your status. It is to expose those who would presume upon their citizenship in the kingdom. So let me say this humbly. If we identify with the third servant, this parable is not asking you to be more faithful. This parable is asking you to question whether you're a Christian. Let's take a look at the third servant. This is kind of heavy. Ooh, I feel the heaviness in the room. Okay. Well, it's a heavy parable. I'm sorry. Why did I pick this one? Man. Um, Third servant. Notice the climax of the parable is on this third fellow. And in particular, notice the third servant's view of the master. How does he regard the master? He says, verse 24, he, that he's a hard man, implying he exploits his workers, that he takes from others, and he takes as much as he can. Verse 25, he, said, he was afraid. He was afraid of losing the master's money and perhaps by doing so, upsetting this hard and ruthless man. And if you think about the servant, you know, perhaps he thought, like an economist, and he said, if I take risks with the money and lose it, I am damned. If I gain money, it all goes to him. So, my best chances of what's best for me is just sit on it. Because gaining is not gain for me, and losing is a, is a risk for me. And it's not worth 
the risk. I think that was his perspective. And the point is that the servant thought his master was greedy and harsh. And so he thinks, I better look out for myself. I better protect myself because this master, he's not going to try to take care of me. He's just looking out for his own. So if I don't take care of myself, ain't nobody going to do that for me. I got to do what I need to do for me. I would suggest that the fundamental test of kingdom citizenship is this question. What is your view of the master? The question of faith is this question of who do you believe God to be? Who do you believe him to be to you? How do you see him? When you look up, as it were, to the heavens, what face do you see looking down at you? How do you relate with him? How do you respond to him? Do you feel like you have to protect yourself? Do you feel like he is demanding and that he is harsh? Do you feel like you got to, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, I, can you really trust him? What is your what do your actions reveal about how you regard your God? It's interesting. The master replies, even by your own accounting, even by your own words, if this were true, you would have at least put it in the bank. It is by your own logic, you should have put it in the bank. In other words, the master points out, your actions are not consistent with your accusation. The implication seems to be, you're just making excuses. You're just making excuses. You're just blowing smoke. In fact, you're trying to blame me for your negligence. The problem was not rational. The problem was relational. I'm going to blame the master. He's harsh. I don't trust him. <clears throat> that was his view of the master. Contrast that with the first two servants who, when given their talents, we read, quote, went at once and traded with them. The implication is they were eager. They were delighted. They were diligent. They were happy. They knew they wouldn't keep the profits. They knew this was the master's money. They knew this was the master's Gain, but they were diligent to do it for the master. Like they wanted. Like they felt privileged. They felt honored. They, they were eager to increase the master's wealth. That was their desire. Their view of the master is, he is good. He is good to me. He has privileged and entrusted to me his very money. It is my privilege and joy to use this for his gain. Hence the eagerness. Our issue of stewardship is less about stewardship and more about theology. What is your view of God? How do you relate with him? How do you regard him? He is harsh and demanding. Or 
He is worthy and generous. Determines how you do, what you do, with what he has entrusted to you. What is your view of the master? As revealed by your faithfulness or unfaithfulness to what he has entrusted to you. Simply put, kingdom citizens love their master. Kingdom citizens love their master. Zoom in on the third fellow. I'm sorry, the first two fellows. That was the third fellow. First two fellows. I think it's fascinating to consider how the master rewards the first two guys. Repeatedly in verse 21 and 23, the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I see three rewards. First, a commendation. Well done. Good job. Attaboy. <laughs> you know, good job. You have made me happy. I am pleased with your performance. Well done. It's interesting. This, this, I, they wanted to please their master and their master was pleased. Uh, Paul writes that, right? So we make it our goal to please him. Like perhaps some of our children to ourselves or to our spouse or we to our spouses. We want to make them happy. They want to make us happy. I mean, you know that feeling, right? Uh, there is a, there is a, a false Asian humility, but sometimes it's genuine where like, you know, you're going out to dinner and uh, the check comes and you're like, let me pay. No, 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 let me pay. And when I was a kid, I'm like, dad, mom, why the fighting? Just let them pay. If they want to pay, just let them pay. You know, and I think there's some, there's a little like this etiquette thing of like, you know, no, let me know. But there is a time when it's sincere, like really, please, I would love to do this for you. It would be my joy. Let me treat you. Uh, can I Can I serve? Let me serve you in this way. That would make me happy. Let me be selfish. Let me be selfish about my happiness in serving you. It's how I think the servants felt. It would be my happiness to serve you. Let me. You've entrusted it to me. Oh, let me serve you. It would be my joy to please you. What is their reward? Their master says, I am pleased. <laughs> and they are happy. That was their joy to please their master. See, kingdom citizens love their master. Secondly, it says, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. They get more work, <laughs> more responsibility. I mean, it's interesting. You did a good job. Great. Here's some more. Let's increase your work. What is your reward? Your reward is more responsibility, more work, 
You see, serving Him is not so that we would gain some other reward. Serving Him is the reward. And so, you get to do more. That is your reward. Because if it is your joy, let me pay. Please, it would be my privilege, my honor. Allow me, allow me. Then it is only more joy to do more for the one you want to please. You see, kingdom citizens love their master. This is their reward. It's not like serve, 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 and then ching, 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 you know, bitcoins in heaven or something like that. It's, that's not, it's, it's its own reward. Serving him is its own reward. Third, I will set you over. Enter into the joy of your master. You have made me happy. You have increased my wealth. You have honored me. You have elevated me. Enter into my joy. You are in the party. You're in the celebration. I have increased. Celebrate together with me. See, I think that's the picture of heaven. In heaven, every tribe and nation, generation upon generation, will say, Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. He will be exalted and extolled and fireworks and, you know, glow sticks. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, kabam, like everything's going up. He's getting all the glory. He's getting all the glory. And we are like, yes, yes, yes. Yes! More! More! Yes! More! We are not happy that we are being made like much of. We are being happy that He is being made like much of. We enter into His joy. See, kingdom citizens love their master. That is their reward. That in heaven, the one they love is made much of. The one they want to please is pleased. And the one they love, they now see face to face. We try to be faithful. We try to seek God. We try to pray, follow his word. And for what? For what? Why? What is your gain? Your gain is simply God himself. And that by loving him more and more, you increase your enjoyment of him. Think of two kids. One's like, I love my mommy. I love my daddy. I can't wait to see them. I want to hug them. I want to play with them. They come through the door. I see your kid. They come through the door and they like leap three feet. 
<laughs> into your arms. They're just so happy to see you. The other kid's like, you know, playing on his like iPad. Oh, you're home? Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay, Dad. Da, 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 da. <laughs> see, both kids are rewarded with the presence of Mommy and Daddy. But to one, it is a far sweeter reward than to the other. We will all enjoy the presence of our king. But to some, it will be a sweet, sweet reward. That is what we live for. That is our purpose here on earth. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Kingdom citizens love their master. And that you love him and enjoy him only shows you belong in heaven. <laughs> you belong at the party where everybody else will love him and enjoy making much of him. Two quick final comments. I think to be faithful to the passage, it is proper for some of us to question our kingdom citizenship. It is a warning. It is meant to make some of us a little nervous because perhaps we have not been faithful servants. Our view of our master and our faithfulness to what has been entrusted to us exposes a more fundamental question. Are you a citizen kingdom at all? Do you love your master? The answer, the answer to the issue is not, I'll be faithful. Next week, all these people sign up to serve at the children's ministry in the church. So, because now we're all going to serve and we're all going to like, I mean, of course, if that happens, you know, no one's going to complain. We're happy for you to do that. But that is actually not the application of this parable. It's not telling you to go serve. It's telling you to meet your master. And to realize no amount of service will ever make you good enough for the kingdom. But there is one who was a faithful servant. He was faithful to the very end. And he gives his faithful service record to you. So that you... He, it's not about earning, proving... Faithfulness points, stewardship points. It's by receiving grace so that it makes your heart say, I would love to serve a king like that. Not because I must, but because I want to. So that's how you enter the kingdom. For others of us who maybe we doubt, we struggle with doubt about our salvation already and it's easy for us to get and for you this is like, uh, <laughs> like I'm already kind of like nervous about the whole question as it is and it feels heavy to you I want to offer this encouragement it is not that we all love our master so perfectly today it is a journey, is it not? And we love so many other things, and hence the battle in our hearts, and hence the need to grow and to, to pursue him and to grow this love. But if you see in your heart 
not all, but any true love for your master. Any genuine yes. <laughs> to you be the glory. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that your joy is in making much of him. Any joy in seeing him treasured and savored and exalted and beheld. If there's anything that shows, yeah, you know, there's a part of me that really does love Jesus, then be encouraged. Edwards, what Jonathan Edwards point out, that is the evidence of your kingdom citizenship because Satan cannot counterfeit love for God. It can counterfeit a lot of other things. But if you have genuine love and trust in Jesus, to whatever degree it's there, be encouraged there's evidence of the Spirit in your life. And be encouraged to run with all diligence down this road of learning to love him more and more and more because this is for what you've been saved that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and that one day in glory above you will so enjoy being with your beloved and seeing him exalted do not let the accuser steal your joy. The gospel changes how we see things. And maybe how we see our Christian life. Life in the kingdom. What is our reward? Can be revised. Can be sharpened. Ours is simply this. To love our master. And to want to love him more and more. Let's pray. We want to be faithful to you. We want to honor you. We want to please you. It would be our joy to see that we have in some way contributed to your increase, to your kingdom, that we have in some way, we have some way increased your wealth. I pray, Lord, that you would allow Trinity to be a place where where we are faithful to you, we love you, and we enjoy serving you and making much of you. Open our eyes that we would see more clearly your grace and your goodness and your mercy, that our view of you would be so wonderful and sweet and attractive and compelling that our hearts would, would be drawn to you in joy, it would reveal that we are, in fact, your children. That we do, in fact, see you. And we love you. May it grow more and more of you. In Christ's name we pray.